You are listening to the Esherama podcast. My name is Jim Esh. And for this show, number four, I am joined by the poet Ken Pobo for a lengthy conversation about influential albums. Show number four is the first part of our discussion. Let's get into albums that influence our writing careers and our lives. Ken, influential albums. How did this all start? It was Facebook. Someone challenged me on Facebook to give my 10 influential albums. In other words, not your favorites necessarily, but that have influenced you. And that's you to decide what you mean by how they've influenced you. But in Facebook, the, the, the rule was you can't explain. You just have the picture. Well, Jim and I aren't really ones who don't want to explain. We decided to uh, have it through email, and we could then talk about the albums that we chose and why, and uh, images and memories that those albums create. And so that's how this got started. Yeah, so you wrote me into it because I don't check Facebook much anymore. That's a sign of health. (laughs) I think it's only right for you to start and pick out um, one of these albums and a represent maybe a representative track from it. All right. Um, well, since you know that I'm such a crazy person for Tommy James and the Shondells, why don't we start with Cellophane Symphony? That album came out in the fall of 1969. Uh, one of the things, I don't know if I'd call it an influence, but a strong memory I have is Uh, I mean, I was only like, what, at that time, uh, I just turned 15, and I didn't have much money beyond my allowance my dad gave me, but my grandfather, he would sneak me money to buy records which I don't think he realized that he was changing my life. What a gift that remained forever. So that albums I could never afford, they were like $5. You know, suddenly I would have them. And one day this new album by Tommy James came out in the Elmhurst Music Mart. There it was. And my grandpa gave me this $5. You can go get it. Go get that album you want. And I got it and took it home and... It was a lot different from the Tommy James I was used to, but I kind of liked, you know, watching the progression and the change and things. He had on that album, we don't have time to listen to it now, there's an almost 10-minute instrumental on it. Cellophane Symphony, the title track, is that way. He had never done anything quite like that before. Um, and one, there is one song on there. Maybe this is the one we're going to listen to called Evergreen. It's very short. It's like a, a haiku almost put to uh, music. And I ended up with one of my chapbooks that I wrote calling it Evergreen. And that goes right back uh, to that song from Cellophane Symphony. Thank you. 
could have picked so many albums but why does this one stand out for you the variety of the songs and it's really not and i mean he was known as a quote like a singles artist you know top 40 and all of that and there is one song that was a big hit on that but mostly it's kind of like not geared toward that so it was kind of a very different kind of experience uh, he played with different instruments. You get Tommy James with the Moog synthesizer on this, you know. Um, so each each kind of song is its own little miniature world. I suppose that's true of just about any song, though, to some extent. But as a budding poet, you know, to see him kind of uh, doing different kinds of things and putting it all together, you know. I mean, when I put my books together... Uh, I, I don't always know how things are going to fall in, you know, and I kind of see that kind of mix, eclectic mix that that album has. Cool. Oh, and the album cover. The album cover doesn't have Cellophane Symphony by Tommy James and the Shondells. It's just like this weird picture. And like, if you did not know, if that were not filed in the record store under Tommy James, you would never know it was that record. It doesn't look like a Tommy James. No, right? it's just this big picture. <laughs> it looks like of some sort of big like, outdoor like auditorium. A, a band show. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I had a real problem defining influential. Oh, I still do. Yeah, but it's it's really fascinating to me. So in a sense, Chicago's Hot Streets is the album. So it's... It was just after their guitarist accidentally shot himself, Terry Kath. Um, and he was a real, the heart of the group, you know. And um, this album came out, but th I think why it came to mind was it was really my first album that I either I purchased or I got it as a gift. I, I can't quite remember if I got it for Christmas or birthday. How old were you? I was probably, well, it came out in what, 79 or so? So I would have been about. Um, 15, maybe. I was pretty late to come into, like, record buying. Um, You probably started a lot earlier than that. With, with 1966, 45. so I would have been 11 when I first yeah. started. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I was later. So I just listened to this album so much. I like it, even though it's, like, the post-Terry Kath era of Chicago. 
And it just has this, uh, Phil Ramone produced it, so they kind of had like a new producer on this album, and it has this kind of like warm late 70s vibe to it. The, the big single off this album was Alive Again. The, the other big hit was um, No Tell Lover, which was a kind of a big adult contemporary song. And it's about having an affair and keeping it secret, which I didn't like realize when I was 15. <laughs> <laughs> when but, did you realize? Maybe it? I should play a little bit, a little <laughs> snippet of that. So I like those warm kind of grooves. It's a very 70s sounding vibe there. And I, I just, when I... Yeah, it's very different from like 25 or 6 to 4, which yeah. has a more pulsing and... Right. You know. So it's, um, I just, when I, I guess when I was young and I would listen to that album, I thought this is so professionally recorded and like, I just, um, but it's it's influential because it was, it was like the beginning of of this huge wave of music listening and collecting, you know, and I just kind of went from that album to other albums and I started getting every Chicago album, you know? And so it's kind of like the catalyst for like greater things to come. Well, and it changed your life. Yeah. Yeah. 15. and Actually anything like between, Oh, say, 11 or 12 and maybe 16 and 17 that's a crucial time for discovering music yeah. I, I feel very glad that it came into my life when it did right all right your turn what's well what's since you played chicago let's stick with chicago bands uh how about the new colony six and the album is colonization they only had Four. two national top 40 records that was it. But if you lived in Chicago, or I didn't live in Chicago, but Chicago suburbs, uh, they were played, all their singles were played. So I grew up waiting from one single to the next, which was a very Chicago thing, because if you were growing up near Philadelphia, you wouldn't have heard hardly anything by them, you know, so they weren't kind of known. But, oh, boy, they were. Well, they also did a lot of, you know, they played schools and local kind of events and things like that as well. Cool. All right. So uh, a representative track from their album Colonization. Yeah. I love you so much. I love you so much. 
I love it. I, I loved it then and love it now. Why is it influential? Yeah. Uh, the whole album? Well, I, that's another album that I love every track on it. But I got it for Christmas in 1967. And that was still a time where I had very few albums. So I got to know this album very well. Uh, I got it. Also, my parents gave me Farewell to the First Golden Era by the Mamas and the Papas, kind of their greatest hits. Oh, it was a great musical Christmas <laughs> in 1967. Um, but I think Chicago music has influenced me profoundly uh, with a lot of artists that uh, were very much of that particular region. It seems like we're not quite so much that way anymore in the United States where, you know, each city and each area would have its own kind of uh, take on what was happening, you know, in the musical landscape. Uh, and I got very connected that way. I don't know as, as far as my poetry, I wouldn't say that the new Colony 6, well, maybe a little bit, but I mean, they mainly just do kind of generally uh, love song kind of things. Uh but as far as something that stayed with me, if that's how we define influence, I'm not so sure how to define it. But yeah, for, it, might, for it might have influenced like your musical taste, right? Like you're, you know, you you went on to yeah, pursue other maybe bands what that I was like looking for. Although it, that might have to wait a bit because I didn't have money. You know? <laughs> Grandpa, <laughs> yeah, thank heavens for my grandfather. Oh, what a gift! I mean, I, I would be more likely to buy a forty-five because those were cheaper. Right. You know? So an album was like, oh my gosh, I did buy Sgt. Pepper when that came out. Well, remember albums, I think I got it for like three ninety nine. You know, that sounds like pennies now. Yep. But when I was, you know, three ninety nine, you're spending that on one thing. Yes. That 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 felt like a big deal. Exactly. Right. Well while we're speaking of like these early influences, I I, I might go with um the Beach Boys Endless Summer. 
Ah, yes. Now, that's an album that we had. My sister had that album. So there, she didn't have a ton of albums, but that was one of them. And this was before Hot Streets by Chicago. So I'm younger now. And um, I played that album to death, too. It was a double album. A oh, I had it. Yeah, came out I remember it well. 74, maybe? Sounds about 74. right. And um, again, like I'm younger than you are by... 10 years almost to the day so i didn't know who the beach boys were you know like when the beach boys were i mean i was born in 64 the beach boys were already having hits but you know but infant jim like didn't know anything about the beach boys right yeah so my first exposure to the beach boys was endless summer and i thought i didn't realize it was a compilation album i didn't realize these were oldies by that point, I just thought the music was fresh and um, engaging. And, like, there were no photographs of the band on the cover. They were just, like, cartoon figures. So the Beach Boys, for a long time, was just, like, a cartoon band for me. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like the Archies or, uh, you know, that kind of deal. But <laughs> I was going to make a comment about Mike Love, but I won't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Please do. <laughs> Um, but I, boy, there's so many tracks I could pick, but this one, I think it was on side one, uh, sort of says it all. I think let's listen to it. can you say the harmonies i mean the blend of their voices it's like otherworldly to me what do you feel about you grew up in pennsylvania that's a pretty long way from california and so much of the lyrics have to do with california and uh the surf and the sea and hot babes on the beach and all of that how does that fit into well that's why it's influential i think because it 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 sort of created this whole California myth in my mind. Like it articulated this iconic myth of California, what California represented. Uh, and, you know, 
and and youth too like you know mm, teenager yeah. year and I, like this i've been listening to this i think even before i became an adolescent so it's you know the cars and the women the girls and you know the, all the rest it's of it it's what's up front in your life it's, yeah it's and it's coming up so yeah. it was so sort of iconic i guess and it you know that they are they just are the california myth the mythology is is all in that in their work but in that compilation album it's all there one thing i like about uh them is as much as we kind of you know remember songs like california girls and all this you know everybody went surfing and we're all having fun and all that warmth of the sun and some of the other songs are not always happy teenager kind of things there is sometimes an acknowledgement that it's rough growing up Exactly. And or in my room. In like my in, room. That, that yeah. song really spoke to me. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. And, and there, it's almost a kind of uh, really, you feel a kind of essential loneliness yes. when you listen to that. But it's comforting because it's you, you hear that and it's like we've probably all felt moments like that anyways. And here's it being kind of acknowledged in the song. Well, it's funny you bring that up because... I don't know if you know the backstory of Warmth of the Sun when they wrote that. They wrote that song the uh, the day after JFK was assassinated. Oh, no, I did not know that. And they it was clearly related. I mean, not that the song's about that, but I think the mood that they were in, you know, the sadness over that loss, the kind of like found its way into yeah. that into that song like uh we're in a darkness and what we want we need some warmth we need some sun when right. it's hard to find that yeah interesting yeah and each side it was a double album so that was so cool you know like you get two albums. <laughs> each side side had its kind of own identity i think that's like you just interpret it that way you know when you listen to something like again and again and again. it's like the white album like yeah. each side has its own kind of feel to it mm. I, I felt that way about endless summer yeah so i was just trying to make sense of it but well i think again you just timing is all right or as dh lawrence says ripeness is all <laughs> you you needed that as a young pre-adolescent person and it kind of began you on a journey well, i think that, a lot of other people did too because it was a, i think it was a number one album oh it was, it was huge. huge it was huge yeah yeah it was a big comeback for them. Oh, oh, yeah. They were rediscovered profoundly. Of course, uh, the records that followed it by, you know, I'm I'm less enamored of those than the ones that came before. Agreed. <laughs> there are moments, though, on those other albums that I do really like. All right, your turn. What's up? How about Donovan? Donovan. Hurdy Gurdy Man, which came out in the fall of 1968, has a green cover with kind of reeds, and that really does fit Donovan. Uh, many of his songs back then, uh, in particular, were uh, nature observations, and uh, those were not always the hits, but many of the album tracks. Do you want to play one or two tracks from this? Well, how about this one? Only because it's so much fun. Uh, it's called As I Recall It. As I recall it, the sun was high Yellow in the blue-blue sky You couldn't cry and make out this boy Use life as a toy 
comes a roly-poly man and he's singing songs of love. Roly-poly, roly-poly, roly-poly-poly sang. Obviously, that was Hurdy Gurdy Man. Um, so two tracks from that album. Oh, that that album remains an all-time favorite of mine. Uh, I liked Donovan before that when I was just discovering music. Uh, he had a very big record called Sunshine Superman, which is also a really wonderful album as well. Um, as for why it's an influence, I really don't know that I can answer that. It's if something sticks with you and stays with you, and especially if you're a writer, its presence is always there. And I mean, I, I even that was another one, and I didn't have much money because I was so young. I actually did get that album back when I was, you know, 14. <laughs> so uh, I, I thought there's something here that I, I need to have. And my 14 year old self, and now my 64 year old self still responds to that. Cool. Um, let's turn to the Beatles next. We both picked a Beatles album as a, a most influential. Um, which was how, almost impossible. How you know, could you not one? be influenced by the Beatles? I know. You know? I, and it's it's a little bit of an easy pick, but I just I couldn't leave them out of my list. Well, on Facebook, my friend who also did this challenge, he chose a Beatles too, but he chose Revolver. Yeah, that's a good one. I, I went with the first Beatles album that I got which was the Blue compilation. Right, right. Which was like the second half of their career. The Red was the first half and the Blue was the second half. I never did get the Red half until I got together with Stacy and she had everything, Beatles. I associate this album with John Lennon's assassination. And I either got it right before that happened or right after. Mm. But it was real close. And I was just starting to really... I mean, everyone knew the Beatles. You heard them on the radio all the time. But I, was, I started getting interested in getting their records right around that time, and and then that happened. Oh, you know, so it just seared it, and like, and then my interest in the John Lennon and the Beatles, like, you know, got magnified after right. that happened as well. So, I wanted to pick a song that's, I didn't know. I this was they didn't play this song much on the radio at all. So. It's Old Brown Shoe. I love Old Brown Shoe. Which is a George song. That was the flip side of the single, The Ballad of John and Yoko. Oh, was so it the if B you side? flip it over, or was it double, double? Yes, and I bought The Ballad of John and Yoko back in the day in 69, and suddenly, like, there's this great George B side. Like, what is this? You know. I think it's better than The Ballad of John and Yoko. Maybe. I don't know if I, I love The Ballad of John and Yoko. But... That's on the Blue Album, too. <laughs> <laughs> really advertising the blue album for having some really cool stuff on it yeah <laughs>
few things I really like about that song. The, the guitar obviously really stands out, but the drumming. Mm. Uh, then the the interesting rhythm, like the sort of like the offbeat. Um, and yet there's kind of a gallop. Yes, it gallops along. Yeah. And, you know, Ring, Ringo is such an underrated drummer. Yes. Uh, but that... I think, uh, and I, I, I'm a drummer too, right? So, like, I always listen to the drum parts. Yeah, yeah. Um, you were very critical of drum, long drum solos in yes. an email. Uh, <laughs> I had to beg to differ with that. <laughs> I'm with you on the long guitar solos, but the drum solos I'm okay with. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Like, these things that go on and on, but you're just looking at it from a musician's standpoint, right? But there's something that happens. This is a total sidebar, but there's something that happens with the long drum solos like if you're at a concert or you like people are like into it at first and then at a certain point people start like clapping louder and louder but there's this sense of urgency but it's i think the crowd just really wants it to be over so they're trying to drown out the drummer at some point and the drummer just keeps going and going and going and then they clap louder and louder and it becomes this duel <laughs> to see <laughs> who will outlast the other Okay, anyway. and, yeah. and why is that fun? Uh, it's not. There's some like attention there. <laughs> oh, all right. All <laughs> it's right. fun if you're the drummer. Yeah. Right? Well, I would imagine that you know you listen to those drum solos in ways I don't. I'm just listening, and I'm feeling like, are you done yet? Right. But you're listening to it more like almost as a musician and more in a professional way, like you're what they're doing and noticing things that probably just zoop go right off my but head. Just bringing it back to the Beatles and why I think Ringo is an underrated drummer is he doesn't do that. He doesn't do the long drum solos. His only long drum solo really is on Abbey Road. Uh, I forget what song is it. It's like the on the suite at at the on side two. Yeah, and it's a real simple drum solo, but and it's only maybe like eight or twelve bars. It's not a long drum solo yeah, at all. But that's yeah. that's the longest Ringo drum solo there is. So he's a very tasty drummer. Like he, you you know, he comes up with these little licks and and galloping things, like you said. Yeah, or like he 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 supports the song. He doesn't. He's not like a Keith Moon drummer for the Who. I mean, Keith Moon's a great drummer, but like Ringo sort of is comfortable to sit back and support the song instead of like standing out in front of the song. And I think that's that's mm. that's a sign of a good drummer. Well, I'm thinking of uh, I believe he was the drummer on it, though they were having some trouble during the White Album. Uh, he walked out for two weeks, as I recall. But I think he's doing the drumming on "Long, Long, Long." Oh, I love that, which I absolutely part. adore that song. But one, re I mean, I like it for a lot of reasons. But uh, the drums on that, yeah. they almost are. Uh, I don't know, like they're mysterious to me. Yep. And the song is already that way. It's it's a perfect blending of where the drum is really uh, speaking to and enhancing what's going on with the rest of the song. Right, for sure. Well, I mentioned Abbey Road. I'm going to turn it over to you because that was your most influential Beatles album. Like you that didn't get the uh, you know set of the Blue and the Red albums by the Beatles until you know they had been out a while and then you kind of discovered them or you know your discovery of uh, Endless Summer. I didn't get Abbey Road right away so Abbey Road the Beatles had long broken up by the time I actually got the album uh, and 
I knew almost everything on it because it was they were famous and a lot of things got played in one way or another. But that's not the same thing like that. The medley on the one side, you have to hear that from start to fit. You just do, you know. I mean, I, and I I think that is just so amazing that some of these songs are like a minute thirteen seconds, and and they're all stitched together like they're making a musical quilt. Mm-hmm. And I really, I, I've never heard or seen anything quite like that before. Um, and that, as a writer, that interests me, like what you can do with taking bits and pieces and things that seem almost unrelated, but if you get the right kind of segue, boom, you've got something really cool happening. So, yeah, that that's kind of why I wanted to take that. And I guess the song, although we could choose just about anything from there for me, but how about Because... So that's a John song, right? Yeah. And as we were listening to it, I was thinking um, the way John Lennon's lyrics influenced me 
like a lot of that a lot of that good stuff on the blue album or you know john songs right right like i am the walrus is on there and strawberry fields and so forth and he's really daring with his lyrics like there's like a surrealist element going on there very much and i think that influenced my writing like my own lyric writing Mm. or poetry writing yeah like that it was okay sometimes to not make sense, like to not make literal sense, like because you—that's sometimes where the poetry lives, right? Like the juxtapositions of yeah, things, yeah, and and just kind of trusting your instincts or going with the flow. I don't know how he wrote those lyrics. He probably was high or something, <laughs> but maybe not. You know, like "Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds" is like this trippy song, and you don't have to be. I was not a drug user. Like, but you could you could write as if you were on drugs, right? It, and but something like Lucy in the Skies, you know, th- there's surrealist poetry, and you would accept it whether you right. know substances are involved or not. You know, it's just interesting. But I'm wondering if that influenced your writing at all, like um, like John's lyrics in a similar way. I, you know, I I'm not sure. I I would isolate even one person including tommy james on that uh i think for me it was all kind of an amalgam of different voices that uh until there is one exception i think until i get to t-rex and then i think t-rex was will will in the next podcast (laughs) (laughs) i'll talk about that and that does fit in with influence but yeah, I mean, Abbey Road, I, I, I still find it to be kind of an incredible album and, and daring and inventive and frankly fun. And if it's you think of it, if, to if it. you think of an album as a, as a kind of cohesive collection of songs, right? Right. Like, Abbey Road might be the best that the Beatles ever did that way. Yeah, it, it sure feels that way, you know, because the White Album does feel like four different people in the room. But Abbey Road more or less does feel like we're a little bit more doing uh, a kind of one cloth together. Right. Yeah. I mean, you could throw Sgt. Pepper into that yeah, conversation you could. as well. But yeah. like, I think Abbey Road is more of a band album. Like they, they said, let's just do it right one more time. Yeah, yeah. Like their swan song. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That'll do it for part one of our influential albums exploration. Part two will appear in the next show of Eshorama podcast to be released very soon. Thanks for listening.